Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Even the ordinary can be called to greatness. His very first miracle repeated his mentor's last. The rest of Elisha's life was original, surprising, bold. More miracles fill the pages of his life story than anyone's but the Son of God himself. From ridiculous faith and extraordinary tale services. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. So Pastor Gail is at Adrian. CJ's still on vacation. Pastor Gail's at Adrian. We flipped a coin. Depending on how you look at it, you either won or you lost. Okay? That's how it works. So, um, a tale of ridiculous faith. If you're old school, ridiculous meant outlandish. But in the English language, we got a lot of words that mean... The opposite sometimes, right? Bad means bad. If it's bad, it actually means it's good. And that's bad. Now, bad can still mean bad. Sick. Sick. If you throw up on me, that's sick, right? But if it's sick, that's good. I didn't write it. That's what it is, right? It's sick. Ridiculous, right? Ridiculous, like I said, used to be outlandish. Well, I had this cake last night, and that cake was ridiculous, right? We talk like that. We, so when we talk about a tale of ridiculous faith, we're talking about ridiculous in the good way, not in the outlandish way, right? So we're talking about this very ordinary guy. Very ordinary guy, Elisha. And today, as I mentioned, I'm going to talk to you about Elisha's ridiculous commitment. There was another guy, Elijah. People confuse the two. Elijah, Elisha. I'm not going to be confused today. You're not going to be confused today. We're going to hold each other accountable in that. But there was this guy, Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet. He was a major prophet in the Old Testament. He was bold. He was a spiritual heavyweight in his day. He spoke for God. He counseled kings. He was a big dude. He was, he was literally a spiritual rock star of his day. And he trained Elisha. So Elijah trained up Elisha. So Elisha, let's talk a little bit about Elisha. Elisha lived in the 9th century B.C. And he lived at home, worked on his parents' farm. Could have lived here in Lenway County, possibly. Worked on his parents' farm, maybe not. Um, he was very ordinary. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't the son of a priest, which at that time almost kind of needed to be at some level. He wasn't 
professionally trained. He worked on a farm. He was wise. He was very wise. Later in the story of his time with Elijah, before Elijah went to heaven, God asked Elisha what he wanted. And he asked for a double anointing of Elijah's anointing. He wanted a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And God gave it to him. And God gave it to him to the point that from the Scripture you would know that Elisha was a greater prophet than his mentor Elijah. More recorded uh, miracles in the Scripture than anyone else other than Jesus. A lot of miracles. A lot of stuff. We allude to it here a little bit. Um, but as I mentioned before, he lived in the 9th century B.C. What was going on in this time? Israel was a divided nation. A lot of tension in Israel um, amongst the, the tribes of Israel. They were also full of idolatry. A lot of them were, were actually worshiping Baal at the time. And I'm not sure being a prophet in the time would have been great. would have been a great job. But yet... Elisha was called by God to do that. So let me tell you where we're going. So we're going to talk today about his ridiculous commitment. And I mentioned early on that I really believe God's going to use this teaching to grow faith here. Grow faith through us individually, but grow faith through us corporately. Next week, we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about the fact that some of us have a really hard time dreaming big. And I don't mean dreaming big in our humanness, but dreaming big in God's realm. And so we really, we struggle with that. I think a lot of us struggle with that. The other part of the things we struggle with is we struggle with dreaming big and we struggle with starting small. And so next week we're going to take a look at a time when Elisha directed a group of people to start digging ditches in a valley before there was any sign of water. And so they had to have faith in that. So there's a story in that and it's something that I think is going to really speak to us through the story of Elisha. In the third week, I think for those that are really in a desperate season of life, I think the third week of this series is really going to speak to you. We're going to talk about a desperate widow who is getting ready to lose two sons. And this widow had a portion of oil to her name. She had just a portion of oil to her name, and that's all she had. And she focused on what she didn't have. She spent all her time focusing on what she didn't have, but through Elisha and through God, they showed her that she had everything she needed to accomplish what God wanted of her. And so I think it's, 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 it, it, it's a great message for those that find themselves in desperate times that God can use others and can use what you have to accomplish what he wants of you or what he wants for you. So that's the third week. And then we're going to wrap up. You may have found... Um, Sometime in your past that you had a real passion, a real fire for God, a real fire for your faith, a real fire, maybe you've lost your spiritual edge. And so in the fourth week, we're going to take a look at the miracles of Elisha. I almost said Elijah right there. The miracles of Elisha. And we're going to look at a time when an axe head fell into a body of water, and the prophet took a stick and he threw it into the body of water, and the axe head floated. 
And we're going to talk about how to get our spiritual edge back in that fourth week of the series. So that's, that's where we're going with this series. Stick with it. It's four weeks long. I think it's going to speak volumes to us here at Element Church. So stick with it. Um, if you've got a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to the Scripture. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. If you didn't bring a Bible, pull one out of the pew in front of you. Um, it's rare, but today I'm going to teach from the NIV, so we don't have to worry about, it sounds like we're going to be in the same page if you're in NIV. If you've got a Bible app, use the NIV version of the Bible you're using today, okay? 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So let me start. The scripture says, so Elijah, that's the older guy, went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, this is crazy, he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Who would agree with me? That's kind of the start of a ridiculous story. At some level, start of a ridiculous story. Anybody agree with me on that? Thanks, Larry. Appreciate that. Um... Let's go back and look at this thing verse by verse because there's a lot to unpack in, in just, these, just these three verses. Um, look at verse 19 where it says, He, meaning Elisha, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. What you need to know about Elisha, and I mentioned it before, is he worked on his dad's farm and he's doing a monotonous job. He's doing the job of plowing and he's not doing it the fun way. He's behind 12 pair of oxen. And so we take, you got a picture of oxen, guys? Okay. There's not 24 there. But this is kind of a romantic view of oxen if you're plowing, right? You're on the wrong end of the oxen, right? It looks more like this probably, right? And, I'm, and this could be a lot more graphic because above this picture is oxen rears. Oxen behinds are up above this picture right here. So I'm going to leave it at that. So really monotonous, really monotonous work. It's hard. It's boring. What do you smell? What do you smell when you're behind 12 yoke of oxen? You use bad words, right? Let's just say we smell a lot of oxen residue, right? It's residue. It smells like oxen a lot of a lot of oxen smells right and it's not clean it's dirty but what does your landscape look like what does your landscape look like when you're behind 24 oxen plowing looks like that well it looks north of that but let's be honest you're staring at a lot of oxen tails a lot of oxen rears and um, every day, 
every day. Oxen rears. Just saying. Same thing. Now, I think it's really important to say this. I don't think this was Elisha's favorite job. But he was faithful in it. He was faithful in this task. He did it every day because he was called to do it. He was called to work for Dad. He was called to plow. And he did it every day. He was still being faithful to the task. So what does this look like for us? Um, I come out of the world of sales, and every month there's a sales quota. And the world of sales is very much, what have you done for us lately? So we meet a quota, and then they establish a new quota. And you meet that quota, then they establish a new quota. And it looks a lot like oxen rear sometimes, right? And if you're a student, maybe you study a lot, and you take a test. Maybe you go to work to pay the bills. Then you study a lot, you take a test. And then you go to work to pay the bills. Then you study a lot to take a test. And then you go to work to pay the bills. If you're a parent, we have oxen rears, right? My house, oxen rears look a lot like laundry and dirty dishes. If you got little ones, it looks a lot like diapers and formula and laundry and dishes. And diapers, and laundry, and formula, and dirty dishes, and diapers, and laundry, and dirty dishes, and dirty dishes, and laundry, and dirty dishes. See, oxen rears, we have them. Each of us has them. Not literally. Maybe. I digress. Sorry. Here's the thing, though. Oxen rears have a way of sucking joy. Right? They have a way of distracting. They have a way of sucking our passion. We, lo- we easily lose our passion when we are looking at oxen rears every day. Your co-workers can be oxen rears. Can't call them that. Can't call them that. But they can be that, right? They can be joy suckers. They can suck our passion, right? It's okay. Let's continue on. Let's continue on in the Scripture. Continue looking at 19. So Elijah, the older guy, went up to him, meaning Elisha, and he threw his cloak around him. Okay, so he's wearing his cloak. It's likely fur. might be animal skins. It's his outer garment. It's a cape. It's a coat. He threw it. He walks by a guy and he throws his coat around this guy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think symbolically, Elijah was showing Elisha, what protects me now protects you. What I am under, you are now under. My mantle is your mantle. I will be your mentor. You'll be my student. And so he's symbolically doing that. And he's also saying to Elisha, I'm committing to your needs. I'm committing to meet your needs. So in, in today's talk, there's really two principles I want to share with you 
and how we're going to take this out to the world to our own lives. And the first principle is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't need all the detail. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. So Elijah throws his cloak around Elisha. And what does Elisha do? Let's look at verse 20. The scripture says, Elisha then, what? He left his oxen, and he did what? He ran after Elijah. Didn't walk, didn't throw out a hay. Uh, he ran after him and said this, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. I know it's going to be tough to hear this from church, but he didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to pray about it, right? He didn't make a pros and a cons list of why or why not I ought to maybe consider following this guy. And You know, he didn't seek other counsel. He didn't ask around, hey, who knows Elijah? He wants me to do some stuff. He gave me his coat, but I don't know him. You know, he didn't do that, right? He didn't do any of that. He didn't pray about it. He responded. He responded. He understood that God was in it. He understood that God was a part of it. And he basically said, man, God, if you're a part of this, I'm in. I'm in. Instantly. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. So I'm an elder here at Element Church. I'm going to take us down a little bit of a leadership bunny trail for just a second. It will make a point, I promise. Um, but I think it's important to kind of share this. So we don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Um, for those of you who know me, you know a couple things about me. When I think, I usually think strategically. I think strategically like a 13-year-old sometimes, but I still think strategically. The other thing you know about me is I love bacon. Love it. It's good. It's God's gift to us. Bacon. Wonderful. Anyway, anyway. So, strategic planning. I love strategic planning. Three-year, five-year, ten-year plans, mapping things out, panoramic. Better to understand what variables may or may not pop up and then how we're going to address those variables when they pop up. Done it for years in business. Um, Really kind of dig strategic planning. I don't like surprises, and so it helps me kind of see the whole playing field when we think strategically and we plan strategically. As it relates to the church and strategic planning, I used to be for it. And my, my answer's changed. My answer's changed on that as it relates to leadership in the church. Um, I used to get asked a lot, what's the plan for the church? Well, it's pretty simple because when you read the Bible, it's the great commitment, it's the great commandment, pretty simple stuff. But that's not what people are asking when they ask you what's the deal with the church, what's the plan. They're asking about programming. They're asking about other things. And so for me, I think it's really tough because the world changes so fast that we put a five-year plan in place. I don't think we understand. I don't think, I'm not smart enough to predict the divine opportunities that God will provide us as a church, right? 
And so where I used to think, Aunt Gail, we need to sit down and work on a five-year plan, I don't think that anymore. I think that maybe 12 to 18 months, I think planning's good, that we need to plan. Don't, don't hear that we don't need to plan as a church. But I think 12 to 18 months is about our limit. Because again, I don't want to be irrelevant to the culture. And again, the culture shifting. Let's look at the decisions made in the last eight weeks here in the national level. A lot of stuff going on. And I would have never predicted some of the decisions that were made in the last eight weeks at the federal level. And how do we respond to that as a church? And what divine opportunities will rise up out of those? And how are we going to address those? And so those are the things that we need to be prepared for. But hear me on this. I think planning is important. I think how we do it is a little bit different. I truly believe as a leader in the church that we need to be in a position of spiritual readiness. That we need to be prepared to respond to God in those divine opportunities with a yes immediately. And we don't need all the details to do that. But we need to be ready. We need to have a margin. We need to have a margin of, of volunteers. We need to have a margin of finances. We need to have a margin of resources. And we need to have some preparation so that when the divine opportunity comes, we can respond immediately. And we can be obedient to what God's calling us into those divine opportunities that he's presenting to us as a church. There's some good teaching in there both corporately and also individually on how we position ourselves to hear the voice of God and then to respond to it. And I'm sure it would be a great series somewhere in the future. I'm sure it would be great. But anyway, so here's the thing about that, though, right? God doesn't always provide us with the detail. God's directions are often intentionally vague. I almost feel like God's saying, details, you can't handle the details. If I told you the whole story, maybe you don't even show up, right? This looks a little dicey, so I'm just going to give you the first step. So just have the faith to take the first step and trust. That's what God does. Sometimes God guides with one word. Go back to the Old Testament. God says to Abraham, go. Abraham goes. God says to Moses, go. And Moses goes. Go to the land, I will show you. Moses doesn't even know where he's going yet, and he goes. I like, like, like to take a map with me when I go sometimes, but he's literally saying it. To Noah, build. Build. I'll give you the details as we go, but build. In the New Testament, who remembers the story of Jesus walking on water? Jesus walking on water. Peter's like, that's ridiculous. Guy walking on water. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come and I'll come. Jesus say to Peter, come. Right? One word. One word. Maybe God's speaking to us today. Maybe God's speaking to you through one word. And maybe that's not a word you want to hear, but that's the word God has for you. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with your marriage right now. And maybe in your mind you're saying, man, I, I want out. But God's giving you one word, and that word is stay. Maybe you're struggling with health issues. Maybe the health of a loved one. And it doesn't look good. And, and God gives you that one word, and that word is trust. Maybe God's given you an idea. Maybe God's given you an idea for a business or for a book or for a ministry or for a need. And He gives you that one word. 
And you, and you say, well, wait a minute, I, how am I going to do this? And what does that look like? And what's it going to cost? And where am I going to put it? And what is, where is it going to fit? And God, what do you want me to do? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Start. Just start. Begin. You don't need all the details, right? We don't need all the details. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Maybe you've been attending church for a while. And you're kind of sitting on the sidelines. And you're kind of checking it out. Maybe God offers that uh, now's the time for you to commit. The word he offers you is commit. Maybe you've been thinking about your family, what that looks like. Maybe you're talking about kids, don't know what that looks like. you got a lot of questions. Maybe God offers a word, adopt or foster. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Domestic? International? Boy? Girl? God's like, no. Foster. Adopt. Maybe you're a great girl, single girl. You're dating a jerk. Dating a loser. Kind of a fixer-upper. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows you're dating this jerk, right? And God has a word for you. And God's word for you is what? Break up with that jerk. That's break up. That's five words. But God's mysterious, and sometimes you need to hear five words instead of one word. But you're too good. You're too good to settle. And you've got questions. What if nobody else comes along? And who am I going to marry? And God says, God, get rid of this loser now. Which I think God speaks like that sometimes. You know, and, and you know, and he maybe he says you can't marry a cherry limeade if you're drinking a frozen coke. And I don't even know what that means, but maybe it means something to you right now. Okay, so here's what I know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I believe that God wants to do something ridiculous through you, possibly today. I know that, right? So the first principle of ridiculous commitment is. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. The second one is this. Those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Those that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Let's look at verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. Interesting response. These are the animals where he makes his living. These are the animals that he does his work with. Doesn't stop there though. What's he do with the plows? The scripture says he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become a servant. Now we could argue, we could argue scripturally that slaughtering the cows was in some way a sacrifice for Elisha to make. God's getting ready to put him on this journey. And you know, you go back to the story of the prodigal son and the dad killed the fatted calf and how do you like that? Do you like that medium rare? You know, let's have a party. Kind of we could say that, right? We could kind of say that he's 
possibly creating a ceremonial sacrifice. But I don't think so. See, he doesn't just kill the oxen and make steaks out of them. He burns the plows. So he kills the cows and he burns the plows. So God sends this guy who wants me to follow him and he gives me his cloak and he's calling me to be a prophet and leave what I know, my monotonous, passion-sucking life to counsel kings and speak on behalf of God and do these ridiculous things as a prophet. And my response is, I'm going to kill the cows and burn the plows. Crazy. A little bit, right? You propose, or would you suppose that maybe Elisha was getting rid of plan B? Right? Obedience to God. I got nothing else. Obedience to God. I've got comfort and looking at oxen rears, it's not good. It's a living, right? Plant B just went up in smoke. I just had a barbecue, fed everybody, and I'm moving on. I don't know about you, but if, as a dad, if my kids came to me and said, hey, this guy gave me his coat, stopped by, I'm going to do this. I'd say, okay, you know, I, hey, I appreciate your faith. Well, let's keep our options open a little bit, right? Just saying. A little bit, you know. You keep the cows. You don't know if you're going to need the cows again. Maybe you want to keep a plow or two. Don't know. Our humanness views it as irresponsible. Our humanness views it as irresponsible, Right? If you look at the New Testament, though, in Luke 5, where um, Jesus meets Peter for the first time, Peter's having a bad fishing day. And Peter's kind of ticked off about his bad fishing day. And Christ says, take the nets and throw them on the other side of the boat. And the story says that when Peter went to pull in the nets, the nets started to tear because the catch was so heavy and so bountiful that the net started to tear, and Peter was like, whoa, what's going on? I'm the pro fisherman, but you know, and you're the Lord, and I want to follow you. And Christ said, you don't have to just fish for fish. You can now fish for men. And then the Scripture says something really important. It's really easy to walk past it. They left everything and followed him. Put that in our context. They left their job. I went to school for this. I majored in this. I'm pretty good at it. Pretty good at my job. Left their families. Left their friends. Left their communities. Left their church. Left their comfort. Left everything and did it immediately. And oh, by the way, he didn't have all the details. Didn't have all the details at all. That's what plow-burning faith looks like. Would you agree? That's what plow-burning faith looks like. 
that you respond. God offers you a word of guidance and you respond. Now, here's the, here's the caveat. I'm not saying that if you dislike your job, that you get to go into work and tell everybody I hate you and burn the building down. I'm not saying that, okay? So don't write that down, okay? I'm saying this. Know that you know that you know that God is leading you from where you are to where He wants you and commit. Commit. I think it's appropriate on July 5th that we... I mean, let's, let's go back in time to just our history of our country. I think back to some of our founding fathers and I think to... They gave up a lot to start the United States of America. A lot of them gave up favor with the crown of England, and they gave up their livelihoods, and they gave up their resources, and some of them gave up their lives and the lives of their family members because they believed that they were called a God's divine providence in the colonies. They believed it so much they actually wrote it in some of our founding documents. Let me read you a quote from John Adams. John Adams, um, one of our founding fathers, said it this way. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged to conscience, to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence towards Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise, would this region be? Let's go back even farther. Let's go back to November of 1620. Pilgrims on the Mayflower. Pilgrims on the Mayflower were not heading for Plymouth, Massachusetts. I don't know if you know that or not. Does anybody know where they were heading? They weren't heading for Plymouth, Massachusetts. Or Columbus, Massachusetts, for that matter, Larry. <laughs> you were so helpful earlier. They were heading for the colony of Virginia. Now, they were delayed when they left Europe. They were delayed by two months, which was detrimental, because they arrived in Massachusetts in November of 1620. I don't know if any of you have been to Massachusetts in, 16, or in 1620. I haven't either. But I have been there in November. It's cold. It's cold. And so they didn't have the time of an autumn to get prepared for what winter of New England was going to bring them. And they missed Virginia by a few hundred miles. And so they got to Cape Cod, and the first thing they planned to do was set out for Virginia. But in the fall, there's some crazy currents along the East Coast. And there's obviously some bad weather in the Atlantic Ocean in November. And so they got to Cape Cod, and they agreed that we need to set off for Virginia as soon as possible. It's November, for crying out loud. And they started, and the farther they got away from Cape Cod, the more this feeling of dread came over the boat. And the more the currents fought the boat going south. And so they... Um, Talked to the captain of the boat, and they said, hey, we need to pray about this. None of us feel like we ought to go to Virginia. 
And so he went out to see a little bit, and they prayed. And they almost unanimously decided, we want to go back to Massachusetts, and we want to start a colony in Massachusetts. We feel God calling us to start a colony in Massachusetts that's based on a governmental structure that is taken from the New Testament churches of eldership. And so that's what we want to start in Massachusetts. We don't want to be confined by the governance of Virginia. We want to start something new. And we believe God's calling us to that. It's scary because we're going back to Massachusetts at the end of November. And what comes after November is December. And what comes with December is snow. But we're going to go. And so they went back to Massachusetts. You know, as I think about plow burning faith, I also think about uh, Pat and Melissa Finnegan's story of marital infidelity. They've shared it. We've talked about it a lot here at Element Church. Um, Pat and I have talked about it. It would have been very easy for Pat to give up on his marriage and leave his marriage and just say, I'm done with it. He heard a word from God. That word was stay. And yet, so he fights for his marriage and he sticks with his marriage and God blesses them and they find restoration and healing. And not only they find restoration and healing through his commitment to God's word, but others find hope and restoration and healing through them as they counsel others in marital situations. And what a ripple impact that has, not only amongst us and this family, but amongst our, around our community, because Pat was obedient to that one guiding word, stay. Who had a blankie as a kid? Who had a security blanket as a kid? Maybe you call it a binky. Maybe you call it something else. I didn't, which may explain a lot of my problems today. Um, who has a kid that they had to take their blankie away from them? Finally, it stunk. It looked a little bit suspect on a lot of different levels. Right? That's a process. That's, tra that's trauma. Right? Because it's security. Well, here's what I know about a blankie. you got to leave it behind at some point. People start to question you if you take it to college with you. People start to question you if you take it to work with you. I guarantee that. You want to hide that thing a little bit. And if it smells like some of them have smelled, and I've smelled some that don't smell good, you got to hide it a long way away. But here's what I know. It's, it's security, right? It's a sense of security. It's something that we know it's tangible. It's fuzzy. It feels good. You know, and I think about when we started Element Church out of First United Brethren in Trenton Hills, and man, those were comfortable places. But we were called. We felt led. We felt called by God to move, and we moved. It was tough. It was tough, right? But we wanted to be obedient, and so we went through that process, and that was back in 06 and 07, and, and that was tough. But here's what I know. In order to step towards our destiny, we need to step away from our security. In order to step towards our destiny, we need to step away from our security. We need to leave the blankie behind. Right? Just as Elisha killed the cows and burned the plows, I think we're called at times to burn that bridge behind us in our commitment to God and where He's calling us to be. Um... I'm going to have the worship team come back up, if you would. I think God calls us to focus on the plan ahead, even though we don't know all the details. Even though we don't know all the details, I think God calls us to focus on the plan ahead. And, 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 he, never, and he never intended his followers to be safe 
And for all of us, he didn't intend us to stare at auction readers for the rest of our lives. He didn't, right? He didn't intend for our passion to be sucked away. What he wants from us today is he wants us to hear that we don't need to understand fully to obey immediately, and that those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Luke 9, verse 62 says it this way. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. As we go through these next few weeks, it's really my prayer, it's really my wish, it's really my hope that you discover plow-burning faith, that God really ignites in you what is getting in your way, whether it's a sin and we need to get rid of it, whether it's a relationship that limits us, whether it's a hang-up we have, whether it's our own limits of humanness that keep us from serving God and responding to Him immediately, God wants us to burn that. God wants us to get that behind us. And I want you to hear that as we continue on through this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this day, Lord. We thank You for Your words. Lord, we just... uh, Lord, I pray for You to build faith in us corporately and individually, Lord, that faith that You desire of us to burn plows so that we can be responsive and obedient to you, Lord, and that uh, we can be what you've called us to be, true followers of you, Lord. We just, uh, Lord, as we continue this time, Lord, we just, we just pray that you press on our hearts and on our spirits, Lord, and you, you build in us that faith to burn our plows and seek after you. Lord, we pray all this in the powerful, name, uh, the powerful Son of your name, Jesus. Amen.